We're going to open the Bibles today to the Gospel of John, and we're going to the 8th chapter. So if you want to begin there in your Bible, or if you're on a phone, the Bible app, or an iPad, or if there's some new gadget out that I don't know anything about and you have it, power to you, because I don't know about all these things. Um, also, not only John chapter 8, uh, we're going to have, uh, we're going to go over to 1 John chapter 4. So the Gospel of John chapter 8, then we're going to go to 1 John chapter 4 a little later. You'll join me in Scripture there. Thank you, singers and musicians, for your faithful sacrifice to the Lord and for us that we might uh, enjoy worship. I thank God for talented people and people dedicated to the glory of Christ rather than themselves. Can you say amen? I appreciate it more than you know. I want to share with you that I will be leaving this afternoon. I have a district board meeting in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and then I'll be at our district council all day, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and, and then we get back. I want to share something with you, though, that I want you to help me with. This coming Friday evening is our men uh, mini-conference. We're actually having three or four ladies speak at, to our men, and they're kind of going to, from different age groups, and they're going to be talking about how they think um, men should be uh, treating their wives. And gentlemen, I know you're going to want to hear that. So I want you to be here. I, are you going to say amen ever all day today? I just, I knew I'd get a lot of friends out of that. But I want you to be here. 7 o'clock Friday night. Be a great time. We have, those ladies are going to be speaking. It's going to be a fun time. Then, gentlemen, I want you to help me the next day. Jared is on our sound this morning. He, uh, he and some other men on Saturday morning, our ladies are going to have a tea, and it's time for us to serve them. They always provide drinks and things for us when we have meetings. Gentlemen, I want you to come and let's return the favor. These ladies are going to have a tea. We're going to get a chance to serve them, and I think you ought to be a part of it. Every man in the house, say amen. We can if I will. I want you to be here and help. I think it's turnabout's fair play, and I think it'll be a good gesture to our ladies. God bless you for doing so. First, or John chapter 8 and then 1 John chapter 4, we'll read in a little bit. Last Sunday was Easter Sunday, and what a great Sunday we had. Our house was packed, and it was just a fun time, and I thank you for being faithful to invite folk to service. This morning, after having last week celebrated the life of our Christ and the fact that he is resurrected, which allows us to know that we too will be resurrected. We are not those that live in false hope. We live in absolute, eternal truth of the Word of God. How many of you are glad the Word is forever settled? It'll never pass away. It's declared to be so, and I thank God for it. I want to talk, after resurrection last week, I want to talk about the death of something that I will talk to us about, about I believe the resurrection takes power over it, and I want to defeat something Satan uses in our lives. So I think today is group life for most of us, and there'll be an outline. I want you to follow me. Uh, those of you who take notes are going to think I'm moving too fast because I've got several lists that I'm going through, and uh, you'll just have to take them in a hurry or see me after uh, uh, the service today if you want to catch those lists. There are many things for which we take for granted as we live. 
One of the things prominent that we take for granted, if you will think about it, is we never stop to consider how we think sometimes. Have you ever stopped to consider, is my thinking accurate or correct? I think sometimes we do, but if we do, then I have a question about this. How could I know if my thinking is right or not? How can I evaluate how I am processing this thing called thought or thinking? I will declare to you this, the only way to know if we are thinking correctly is to align our thoughts as closely as possible to absolute truth. If it's absolutely true and we align our thoughts with it, then our thinking is correct. But today's lie of the century for the last 30 or 40 years, this from our so-called higher learning institutions, they say there are no absolutes. And they go on to say that there are no absolute truths. It's a message sent out to cause an effect. Here's the effect they want. We will tell you how to think. We want you to think the way we want you to think. And that's happening all over our country and all over the world. And ladies and gentlemen, young people here, pastor this morning, millions upon millions of people are making decisions based on lies, faulty reasoning, psychological pablum, (laughs) even spiritual blindness. Political pundits abound today telling us how to think because they want to manipulate how we vote. Since the day you and I were born, Our minds have been programmed, it's true, by what we are taught and what we experience. And we all know that some of that's good and some of that can be bad. But I want to declare to you this morning there's only one place and there's only one source on which to base your thinking. That one place and that source is the absolute, eternal, never-changing truth of the Word of God. I want to read it to you in John. Listen to something Jesus said, and let's not just run through his words. Let's look at it in an absolute, understandable manner. Chapter 8, John, I want to look at verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in what? If you who believe abide, that means stay in my word, You are my disciples indeed. I want to just share something with you. It's one thing to say you believe in God, but if you don't stay in his book, what I'm going to talk about today will dominate your life. And notice something else in verse 32. Jesus said, and you shall what? Know. What's the next two words? Oh, my goodness. You shall know The truth, the truth, and the truth shall what? Make or set you free. No other book, no other claim can be close to that. 
Let me kind of paraphrase that for you. If you are indeed in the household of faith and you have given your heart to God and you believe, not only believe it, but you accept it, then the truth of God's word will absolutely guide you, guard you, build you, sustain you, and keep you because this word is forever settled in heaven. Making that establishment is important. Today, I want to let God's word set us free, and I'm speaking primarily today to believers. I want to discuss today something that is, I believe, public enemy number one. And I'm going to try to dispel it as best I can. Do you know what or who it is, public enemy number one? Let me tell you first, before I tell you what it is, I want to tell you what it's not. Public enemy number one is not the dreaded disease called AIDS or cancer or leukemia or any other disease. It is not illicit drugs. Public enemy number one is not all crime. Nor is it earthquakes, tornadoes, storms, or fires, tragedies. It is not even death or taxes. Public enemy number one is a four-letter word. None of us like it. We all hate it. All of us experience it. And it is a killer, and it will destroy everything about your life. Public enemy number one is a thing called fear. Oh my, how many ways could I talk about how fear comes upon us? Fear. Fear is the forerunner to calamity. Fear is the rampant creator of bad results in your life. Fear is contagious. Fear saps our energy physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. Fear has torment. We'll read it in a minute. Fear robs us of inner, 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 any inner joy or peace. How many of you got it even though I messed it up? Thank you. Welcome to the human race, Pastor. It robs us of any inner joy or peace. I got it. I didn't even get an ovation. Fear cripples Christians, invades and pervades families, and it even has destroyed lives and churches. And it is rampant in our world this morning. First John, let's go there and let's read what the Spirit of God spoke to John again. 1 John chapter 4, I want to read one verse, 18. Listen what the Spirit of God wrote through this man after these decades. There is how much? No fear. There is how much? Let me hear you say that. There is no fear in love. But perfect love does what? Casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. 
and Satan will use it to torment your mind and your life. But listen to the last phrase. This is what some believers, we wish sometimes God wouldn't quite put it in there and point us out. But it says this, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Let me kind of give us a concept of that in a, in a nutshell. If you're genuinely, absolutely living in the love of God and you're totally convinced that he has accepted you and his blood atones for you and in that perfect love, then that casts out fear. And if you are tormented, that is a description for unbelief. No force or emotion is more crippling or paralyzing than fear. Fear stops the salesman from making a call. What's the use? Fear stops the young man for, from proposing marriage to his love. Fear stops an employee or an unemployed person from going to an interview. Fear stops a young married couple from purchasing their first home. Fear stops the seeker who's trying and thinking about committing his life to Christ. Fear stops the pastors these days from teaching the truth and the whole counsel of God because of fear. Fear attempts to stop every progress Element, a progressive element of humanity, especially if it is a move toward godliness. Satan will fight you at every point of your life. Some people fear public speaking. Some people fear loneliness. Others fear people. Some fear decisions. Some fear heights. Some fear the dark. Some fear the unknown. Some fear failure. Some fear doubt. Fear has reached epic proportions in this last generation and in this present society. We fear beginnings and endings. I was, remember when I was 18 and I went to college, I was so accustomed to high school and you know how you move things around and go to the locker and you know the teacher. Suddenly you go to a campus where there's 10, 20, 30 buildings and you don't know where they are. You don't know how to find the classes. How many of you remember arriving at freshman orientation and you felt like you walked into a big black hole? Oh Lord, what's going to happen now? Maybe I'm the only one that went through that in my whole life. I don't know. It's it just fear. How am I going to start it? What's going to happen when I end it? Some fear changing. Some fear change. Some fear remaining, staying stuck. Some fear failure. Some even fear success. Some fear living. Some people fear dying. We just are inundated with fears of all kinds on every hand. Ladies and gentlemen, the ultimate weapon of the enemy of your life, of your family, of your soul and your spirit and your future, the ultimate enemy is fear. According to some, a child comes into the world with two fears. 
They say we come into the world with a fear of falling. And they say we come into the world with a fear of loud noises. Another school of thought says that there is a third fear, and it is the fear of being abandoned. And then there's another fear of thought, school of thought. It suggests that Men or human beings are born without or freedom from fear. We actually are born without any fear, and that fear is a learned emotion or reaction. And if that all be true, it demands at least one question, and that is this. If we were not born with fear, then from where did fear originate? And the scripture puts it into focus. I want to declare to you the truth of the word of God spoken to Paul to a young man by the name of Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of, here, help me, power and of love and of a sound mind. There is a spirit power being born, twi twice born men and women and young people, that it is the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, and God does not produce fear in his children. So saints, I'm here to tell us something this morning, and I'm going to declare on the word of God, whatever comes in your life, do not accept the lie. Do not let this world, young people, tell you how to think. Regardless of what the therapists say, regardless of what the report may be, regardless of the humanistic manifesto philosophy, fear is of Satan. The scripture has declared it. It is not of God. God is not against us. God is for us. If you don't believe it, he put his own son on a tree and was brutally beaten and bludgeoned to death and died and he raised him again just so he could purchase the life eternal for you and me. God is for us. How many times has fear hindered and stopped things? How many times has fear caused you to change directions? As a twice-born man and woman, a young purple person, how many times has fear stopped or hindered the gifts of the Spirit operating in your life? How many times have you been prompted by the Spirit of God to say something or do something or, or the Spirit of God speak to you for your own good, but you're afraid? When pastor takes and asks for a sacrificial offering for a certain project to help ministry some, somewhere, and how many times has fear said, I can't afford to give that I might lose something? Or when pastor says, pay your tithes, well, I'm afraid if I do, I won't have money left for bills. I want to tell you, that's fear, and it doesn't come from God, because God said, if you will honor me with your first fruits, I will absolutely see that men give to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And if you're not tithing, it's unbelief. How many know there wasn't any sugar on that pill? It's just the truth. It's absolutely truth. You're not trusting God, you're trusting self. 
How many times has Satan and fear stopped a believer from witnessing? How many times has fear disabled the church and caused us to be weak and a second-rate organization now in society? I want to tell you, the church has been intimidated too long, and we'd better stand up for some truth if we intend to keep America any kind of a Christian nation. Fear has caused us to withdraw. Fear has robbed the church of God's power. God wants to powerfully use your life and my my life to be light and salt to this society. But we've allowed fear to put us in a corner and look at what's happening in the political and social world. Ladies and gentlemen, we are witnessing the most bold satanic assault on truth and on the church that any generation has ever seen. Fear is Satan's ultimate weapon. It is public enemy number one. It's trying to silence the church in this late hour. One of two emotions will dominate your life. One of two. Fear or faith. You're either living in fear today or you're living in faith. And I want to say this morning, church, choose faith. Saints, choose faith. Dad, be bold enough to choose faith. Mom, declare faith. Young person, live it. Declare it. Don't be ashamed of faith. Fear is unbelief. Parading in disguise. If you're afraid of something, you don't believe right. Fear is the gift of Satan. Faith is the gift of God. Fear is to Satan what faith is to God. Fear is faith's worst enemy. Faith is fear's worst enemy. Fear will destroy your faith, but thank God, faith will destroy your fear. Faith activates Satan. I mean, fear activates Satan. Faith puts God on the scene. Fear thrives in darkness. Faith thrives in light. Fear is the opposite of faith, and thank God, faith is the opposite of fear. Ladies and gentlemen, light dominates darkness and faith dominates fear because faith puts you in direct contact with God and God is love. And if God is love, it is perfected and the word says that perfect love casts out all fear. So I want you to follow me here a minute. Active faith produces contact with God. Contact with God produces confidence. Confidence produces security. Security produces relaxation. Relaxation produces balance. And balance is sanity.
The absence of faith produces insecurity. Fear, the absence of faith produces insecurity. Insecurity produces fear. Fear produces panic. Panic produces false imaginations. False imaginations produce neurosis. Neurosis is only one step from psychosis, and psychosis is insanity. And you want to know why the world's insane today? Because they're living in a quagmire of fear. And they don't believe this word, and they don't believe in absolute truths, and the brightest among us all don't have the answers for the world's problems because we are living in fear because we don't know what's coming. But those of us who have been enlightened by the word of God do not have to live in fear. Can you say amen? It's been proven time and time again. You cannot wish fear away. You cannot beg fear to go away. You cannot just try to imagine that it's gone and live in its denial. But I'm here to tell you this morning, you can use faith in God and His Word to believe fear out of your life. If we were on television, everybody would be shouting. <laughs> so I want to talk to you this morning about the defeat of fear. And I'm not making a suggestion and I'm not trying to say it'll just better your life a little bit. I'm telling you there is a defeat of fear. Wouldn't we all like to live the rest of our life without fear? I think we would. And the Christian can. Number one, it's this. Expose your fears to truth. Expose your fear to truth, not lies, not doubt, not unbelief, not the pagan philosophy, not, no other man-made religions. Expose your fears to the only absolute truth that there is. God's word is truth. Hello? God's word is truth. God's word is truth. God's word is truth. If you want to know why America's struggling today, we believe it's archaic and we don't want it in our society because we want to live the way we want to live and nobody say anything about it and nobody have any guilt or answer to anybody. But I want to tell you something, America. We were created by God and He has first rights and if we ignore Him, we're going to see Him at a judgment seat because His word is absolute truth. It's truth. And let me say, whether we like it or not. <laughs> Boy, I'm making friends today, aren't I? Expose your fear to truth. God's word is truth. The enemy will cry you are going to be ruined. He will cry disease. He will cry death. He will cry tragedy. He will say it's impossible. Your thought life will start to produce fear, and fear will convince you that you are defeated. Fear will convince you that you cannot. 
Fear will convince you that something is impossible and it'll come and say, what's the use? But ladies and gentlemen, young people hear this this morning in your early years. God says, place my word in your heart. Write my words over the doorpost of your heart and your mind. God says, meditate on my word. When you rise in the morning, meditate on my word. When you retire for the evening, God says, this word will renew your mind and your spirit. God says, my word will allow you to have the power to cast down every negative imagination that the enemy brings. God says, my word will cast any thought that rises against truth, and I will lead you to truth. God says, I sent my word to heal them. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Full of truth. So I want to ask you something. Have you ever been in a place where you need an answer to prayer? Where you need a miracle? you ever faced an impossibility? Let's just face it, have you ever traveled where your fear is greater than your faith? Whatever you do, do not agree with fear. Expose your fear to the truth of the Word of God. Hide His Word in your heart. Confess His Word with your mouth every day. Believe in your heart and your mind every day. Meditate on God's Word. Pray God's Word. Speak God's Word. And your faith will grow and your fears will die. When I preached this a while ago in the first service, I said, I, I, I got a rhyme here. And, and this is what all the joy boys do. They say, your faith will grow and your fears will go. Maybe we should say it like that. Ladies and gentlemen, expose your fear to the absolute truth of God. Secondly, fear has an appetite. Fear has an appetite. Faith feeds on God's Word. God's Word feeds faith. But I want you to hear something. Fear feeds on fear. I said earlier it's contagious and it spreads. Fear feeds on fear and fear is never satisfied. We've heard the old home remedy. I'm sure most of you have. Some of you may not have heard it. It says feed a cold and starve a... Feed a cold and what? Starve a fever. How about this one? Feed your faith and starve your fears. Well, I thought it was good. Fear grows and is nurtured by your thoughts. Fear grows and is nurtured in your thoughts and it moves to your emotions. And your thoughts and emotions move to memories. And your thoughts and emotions and memories cause imaginations. And Satan, if he can control your thinking, he'll control your emotions and he'll control 
your life. I want to share with you something. Fear is not primarily caused by the world around us. Fear comes within us because it is planted there by Satan. Yes, we see all these things, but it is Satan who takes all that and plants fear inside of us. I want to say this very distinctly this morning. Be on guard, twice-born man, woman, or young person. If you are to conquer your fears, then you must guard your heart and your soul and your mind. That's what the Scripture says, especially your heart, because out of your heart comes the issues of life, and Satan will put fear there and destroy you if you don't guard it. Your mind is Satan's playground. I want to declare to you, do not allow Satan to use your mind. God gave it to you to use for yourself. I love what R.A. Torrey said. When you get saved, don't throw your mind away. You're going to need it. And that's a, that's a good way to say, you're still going to have to think, God gave you this mind, but it's been so programmed in the negative by Satan and all those things that we need to get to this book to truth and then align it so our thinking is right and faith will not dominate and control our decisions. Faith has an appetite. It feeds and it feeds. Your mind is important. And church, let me tell you something. Thousands upon thousands of people today say they desire to be free and they desire a good life, yet they have a steady diet of fear and negative and the internet and television and novels and bad company totally permeates their mind, their soul, and their spirit and they wonder why they can't make life turn out right. I'd do this again if I had my telephone. Here a few weeks ago, I brought my telephone up and said, I want to show you a miracle, and I pushed it and I turned it off. I want to tell you, sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, we need to unplug from all this screen stuff. And I'm going to tell you, the fear mongers are all over the Internet, the radio, and the television like you wouldn't believe. Thank God for a place we can come and hear some good news, amen? The good news of God's Word, because it's true. <laughs> Thousands of people, they say they want to live a good life and all that, and yet they listen to the wrong things. They keep the wrong company. I'm going to say it again. I've said it since the day I went in the ministry 41 years ago. Young people, show me your crowd. I'll tell your future. There's a lot of young people today having problems because they're in the wrong crowd. They're being influenced in their mind, their emotions, when they're trying to come up through their junior high and high school years. And Satan uses all that negativity while you're trying to develop how you think to try to misguide you. But let me just tell you something. Your parents, if they're Christian and they believe the book and the pastor and the youth pastor are your best friends. Come on, saints. You'd you'd think that you'd want your kids to vote that that's true. It is true. I want to declare to you something. Your mom and dad aren't against you. Listen, the person that birthed you and planned for you and bought a bassinet and bought you a stereo and bought you Easter dresses for the girls and bought you jeans and boots for the guys and cowboy hats and belts and buckles because every boy ought to have a set of boots and jeans and a cowboy hat. I'm just telling you. That's just. 
Everybody put every candle on your cake and gave you lunch money every day and bought every shirt and pair of underwear you've ever worn and done all those things for you and gave you parties and done everything they possibly can are not your enemies. Don't you sell 10 and 20 and 30 years away. And when you get 15 years old, don't you throw them away and listen to somebody you hadn't known for 30 days. And listen, what's cool? What's so cool? may turn out to be not very cool. What's in fad and in vogue and what looks like, oh, everybody's doing that. Everybody's doing that. Oh, everybody. And we're like, oh, we're like the cookie monster. Oh, I got to do that. I got to do that. I got to do that. The cookie monster's going to die. <laughs> Too much sugar. <laughs> Sometimes I get tickled at me. The other day, it was Easter, and I was walking through Walmart, and I was going to take our seniors, you know, some of these uh, 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 flowers. What, what, what's the? Lilies. And I couldn't find any I liked, so you know what? I thought I'll just get candy. And I'll take them some Easter egg candy. I, do you know there are there are eighty foot aisles, two and three and four sides filled with candy for Easter? And I'm going, this really isn't about the Lord. This is about seduction. Don't you think? Yes, it is. You need me. Look at me. I'm beautiful. I'm tasty. And I'm going to tell you, Butterfinger can absolutely melt me like butter. Is there anything better than that chocolate on that butter and that crunchy? I don't care if it does stick to your teeth. It's wonderful. That's why God made toothpicks. <laughs> it's wonderful. And I, I started, I, I just have to tell you, I started picking out Candy eggs for the shut-ins. But when I got home that night, I had three packages for somebody else. Well, who in the world did I have in mind? <laughs> Yesterday, I broke my phone Friday. If you've been trying to call me for four days, I've been down. My phone's broke. I, I told, I, I've decided to take every idea and, and see if I can make. I, I'm going to design a cover for phones that's totally covered in springs, so it just bounces around. <laughs> or I'm going to I'm going to somehow put a little bitty parachute on it. When I drop it, it lands easier. <laughs> Something. <laughs> I can't. I can't get. Broke my phone. I'm looking for a cover. I walked by and there was this big long candy aisle. And I went, No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Young people, can I tell you something? There's going to be a day when you can buy all the candy you want and you're going to have to tell yourself, I have to be a disciplined person, not a cookie monster. How many of you understood what I just said? How many parents understood what I just said? I could, I could buy a lot of candy today, but I don't need it. Have you ever bought something thought you just had to have and you're disappointed in it? 
Fear has an appetite. Fear has an appetite. It'll control you if you let it. Cast down imaginations. You are in charge of your mind. Control your thoughts. Don't let Satan control your thoughts. Let me tell you one good way to do that. Turn your thoughts into a conversation with God. Number three. <laughs> Number three. Fear is cast out by perfect love. Love is the partner of faith. Love overpowers fear. Love thinks no evil. Love believes, 1 Corinthians 13, all good things. But we get hurt and we won't forgive. And there's no perfect love then. And we say we're sorry and we say we're going to forgive. Let me tell you something really quick, young people, mom, dad. Let me tell you how you can tell if you've truly forgiven somebody of something they've done against you. Even if it's true, you say, I forgive you. Here's how you know if you really, really have genuinely forgiven someone. And that is this. If you never bring it up again. Because God said to us, I will take your sins and I will forget them. Cast them into the sea of forgetfulness, never to remember them against you again. So if you keep bringing something up, hubby or sister or wife or uncle or cousin, keeps, you keep bringing that up, you haven't forgiven. You're fooling yourself. You're using that to keep trying to get your way or manipulate your mate. That is not forgiveness. You know how many marriages are full of unforgiveness today? They say, well, I've forgiven them. And yet you reach back and bring that up. You have not. How's that for straightforward talking? No wonder there's no perfect love. That's why there's torment. But the scripture says that love casts out fear. Fear is highly suspicious and it turns into jealousy. While love is busy doing today's assigned tasks of the Lord. Love thinks no evil. It believes it all. Fear is highly suspicious. Love is doing today's work. Fear focuses on tomorrow. What might happen, love focuses on today. Love leads to greater love. Fear gives occasion to greater fear. If we comprehend how much God really loves us, our fears will be conquered. It is Satan who puts guilt on us. It is Satan who puts shame on us. It is Satan who tries to keep us in the negative. It is Satan who tries to destroy us mentally by fear. Here, listen to me. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it, our song says. And yet God sent his only son to live, to die, to resurrect, and to sit at the right hand of the Father this morning just for us. And the scripture declares nothing, 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 nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not in this world. However, let me tell you this. No matter what you do, God's love is going to be on you. But you can let fear come and totally destroy what, you, what God's love would like to do in your life. Don't let fear separate you from the truth in God's word. Number four. I, I, will, I remember when my dad or mom sometimes out in the country when I was a little boy, 
my mom would say, son, stop that. You know how much that means sometimes to a child? How many of you have had your mom and dad tell you to stop something four or five times? How many of you went on and did it anyway? How many of you learned that's not very, very good? My dad, my mom would say, she was a little easier on me. She'd say, son, stop that. And I'd, yeah, okay, if I wanted to do it, I'd do it again. And then she'd get on me pretty good. And then, some like around the third time, if I didn't stop it, I got the, uh, I got the message through the backside to the brain. That's how it works. But my dad, when he'd say, son, stop it. Ooh, that's a whole different ball game. And when my dad finally got to this place, usually it was only the second time he'd say, I said, stop it. That put shivers in me. You know why? Because I knew he wouldn't tell me the third time. He absolutely would not waste his time telling me a third time. If he ever did, after I got beat half to death, he'd say, I told you. <laughs> My dad, to all you liberals, he did not beat me. He did not hurt me. But he let me know that here's a perimeter and here's a perimeter. Cross it and see what happens. And I'm going to tell you something about that. While I'm shooting a shotgun this morning, your children need to know where the perimeters are and their security and their trust factor and their well-being is good because they know somebody cares enough to keep them between the lines. That was free, no extra charge. Stop the fierce. Can I say to you, God said, stop it. Say, enough is enough. Say, God has done his part, Satan, and now I will do mine. Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, and it's been famous, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And while there's some truth to that, and yet I'm going to tell you something, Fearing fear will never help you conquer fear. I've told you this old story. I told you this old story about the years ago in the 20s, the East Texas pastor driving down muddy Texas roads in an old Model A or whatever, picked up a hitchhiker. A couple of minutes later, the guy pulled a gun on the pastor and said, pull this thing over. I'm going to shoot you and take this car from you. And the pastor just kept driving. He told him again, told him again, and finally the guy said, look, I'm going to shoot you. I said I would. I'm going to take this car. The pastor just kept driving and said, can't scare me with heaven. I've learned a long time ago, I'm not going to let Satan scare me with heaven, and I'm not going to let him scare me with fear. I want to tell you something. Take your fear seriously because God does. That's why someone said, and I haven't checked it out, so you can, you can do this yourself, but someone said there's either 365 or 366 times in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation where God says, fear not or do not fear, one for every day of the year. Singers, musicians, will you help me and I'll be through. The last point I want to bring is this, and I do not want 
by any means. I do not mean any irreverence to the name or God our Father. I strictly want to say this so you'll remember, you'll remind your mind. <laughs> the last point I want to make is this. Daddy is home. I used to live in the country and my dad would work and come in late and he had an old Chevrolet pickup and when he let the gas off to coast down the hill to our driveway, we would know it a quarter mile away. Boom, 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 boom. And then he would turn in and my mom would say, kids, daddy's home, time to get the biscuits out. Because every godly home should serve biscuits. <laughs> Boy, I love to hear my mom say that. Daddy was home. Because no matter what problem I had, no matter how big my problems were, no matter what kinds of fears I was living in, no matter what was bothering me on the inside, they didn't have a chance because my dad was home and my dad could do anything. All fear would leave me Worry would leave me because my dad was home. My dad didn't have to sometimes, he didn't say a word. He didn't do a thing. He did nothing except be there. When I was a little boy at night, I used to be afraid of the dark. And like a lot of small children, and lots of times I would call from my bedroom at the back of the house, mom and dad's bedrooms up front. And I would cry to Daddy, Daddy, I'm scared. When you're little, you say scared. <laughs> My dad would say, Son, it's all right. But I'd say, Daddy, I'm scared. I'm afraid. My big 230, 40-pound dad would walk in, in the middle of the night. Son, it's okay. Go to sleep. Sometimes I would. Today I'm a father. I recall in the past tremendous fond memories with my own sons who went through that and they would say, Daddy, I'm scared. And I'd say, Son, it's okay. Go to sleep. If 20, 30 minutes or an hour later, Daddy, I'm really scared. I can't tell you how many times I got up and went to my son's bedside. Put my arms around and hugged him. Told him I was there, it'd be okay. And I've had both my sons say, Daddy, don't leave me. Sometimes I'd kneel at the side of the bed and pray. But I want to tell you some of the most wonderful times for me. I would just slide in that bed and pull my baby boy up to me. And I'd spend the night with him. And the reason I say this, if God is love and he's perfect love, if God is for us and he is not against us, and he gave his only son to die and has an eternity plan for us, I want to tell you something. When daddy is at home in your heart like that, you can tell fear to take a hike. One thing and I'll be through. 
There are people sitting in this room that Satan has tormented you for years with some things you've done in the past. And maybe just an embarrassing thing, but things you've done in the past. I want to tell you something about repentance. Repentance, the blood of Christ, covers all sin. And I want to declare to you this morning that as a born-again believer, you can put your past in the past and not live as a prisoner of your past and not let Satan torment you with fear about that any longer. And maybe you're glad that you can be brand new. So for us in 2019, here's my last question, I'll be through. Is God in your house? I don't mean are you religious. I don't mean have you shaken a pastor's hand. I don't mean is your name in a membership. I think those all have their places. But ladies and gentlemen, I want to know, does God live in your house? In this house and in your house. Because if God is home, a Christian has no reason to be afraid. None. If God's not in your house, let him in. I want to tell you. When I was a little boy, I used to cry for fear. I had tears. I'd be afraid of things or things would hurt me. I'd cry. Let me tell you something I did as a young man. I gave my heart to the Lord. And you say, Pastor, do you still have tears? All these years, I still cry about things today. But let me tell you what the tears are today. They're not about fear. They're not about sorrow. They're about I'm in a perfect love of a Father who loves me beyond measure. And my tears of joy and peace and gentleness and kindness. And I'm not afraid nor am I ashamed to shed a tear because I am madly in love with my dad and he's madly in love with me. And I'm talking about Jehovah God. And I will not let the foul enemy make me afraid.